Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. This morning we're starting off a new series, it's called Beating the Winter Blues, and so we're actually going to change tact, we're going to try to change emotional energy now, because that was pretty heavy, <laughs> it's pretty burdensome, but I'd like us to sort of change tack a little bit for the rest of the morning, so I hope you guys are ready to have a good time, I hope you guys are ready to have a little bit of a laugh this morning, I hope that you guys uh, are ready to put a, a smile on someone else's face, and so what I need you to do, each and every single one of you, is I need you to think of a joke, okay? You need to think of a joke, but whilst you're thinking of a joke, let's just shake all the, all the vibes out. Come on, look, we're just going to shake our arms like this. I like it, Stephen. Is that how you cheer on Collingwood? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yep, good point. Good point. Good point. So, thinking of a joke, thinking of a joke. We're talking about happiness this series. We're talking about how we can find a little bit of happiness. And um, before we get there, obviously, we've got Camilla here this morning, which is pretty cool. We're going to give a big round of applause to little Camilla. She, um, unfortunately, didn't sleep very much, so if I, all of a sudden I lose tra- uh, train of thought, if I stumble on my words, you'll just have to bear with me, and you'll just have to blame Camilla, and we'll be fine. All right, so what we're going to do now, I'm going to give you guys 30 seconds, you're going to turn to the person next to you, and you're going to tell them your joke. The challenge is, can you make them laugh this morning? All right, let's go. You've got 30 seconds. If you need a prompter, maybe a why did the chicken cross the road joke. Maybe it's a, a dorky Christian pickup line joke. Maybe it's a, some other kind of football joke. Can you tell a good joke? If you're watching online, feel free to type in a little joke in the comments section too, hey? I'm expecting that Davo's got a great joke this morning, or Al Morgan's got a great joke this morning. Susie, did you come up with a great joke? Oh, fair enough. Great discernment. All right, can I read out a couple of little jokes to you guys this morning? Is that okay? Will you guys bear with me this morning? I see Shaz laughing a fair bit. I reckon Anne must have told a good joke. Was it Anne? Did I pick it? Jane, did I pick it? And was it naughty? Okay. For those of you that couldn't hear, Anne said no, but it was politically incorrect. Sounds about right for you, Anne. All right. You guys have to laugh. Even if you don't think it's funny, you have to laugh. Can we all practice laughing? Ready? <laughs> thank you, thank you. All right, we ready? Are we ready? Okay. So these jokes are all themed around happiness, okay? Because that's, that's the theme of our series. And I, um, I wrote them down because it's important that we get them right, isn't it? My boss told me to have a good day, so I went home. Yeah, Susie! Well done. It was extra awkward because my boss was my mum, so I made it really... <laughs> Awkward. Um, here's one for all you parents out there. Your kid, get this, your kid is so annoying, he makes his McHappy Meal cry. You get that one? You know, my friend said, why do you have depression? There's so much happiness in the world. I said to him, why do you have asthma? There's so much air in the world. <laughs> this is the last one. Thank you for laughing so far. This is a really important one, though. This is a serious one, okay? We're talking about statistics like gambling statistics, depression statistics, all sorts of statistics. You ready? Six. Everyone say six. Out of seven. Everyone say seven. Six out of seven dwarves aren't happy. (laughs) Big round of applause, hey? Is that a good one or what? The reason why I'm telling you these terrible jokes is because since the last time I was on stage giving a message, I've since become a dad. How good is that, hey? Which means that I'm now entitled and welcomed into this amazing new world called Dad Jokes. Yeah? How good is that? And so what I've actually done by getting up here and telling terrible dad jokes is I've actually prevented you guys from coming up and teasing me about being able to tell dad jokes later on. You see, when you guys come up and tease me about telling dad jokes later on, I can say, see, I set you up to do that by doing that thing from the platform. So you guys are out down there playing checkers, I'm up here playing chess. You see what I've done there, Andrew? Pretty clever? Pretty clever. Thanks for bearing with me. I just thought we'd lighten the room a little bit this morning. But in all seriousness, though, we're talking about happiness this series. And happiness is this elusive thing, isn't it? 
Happiness is this fragile, elusive thing that we're all pursuing, but sometimes it's kind of hard to grasp and hold on to. Over the past 18 months with the pandemic, I think the thing that I've learned most of all has been about happiness. I don't think the thing that my number one takeaway was about people's fear of death or of disease. I don't think it was even people's fragility with their finances and the fact that most people are living week to week. I don't think that was the greatest learning for me. But I think the greatest learning from the, from the pandemic was just how fragile and how frail our hold upon happiness is. C.S. Lewis wrote this amazing quote a long, long time ago. He says, don't let your happiness be something that can be taken away from you. It's almost like C.S. Lewis was writing to us and was talking to us this year, isn't it? Or last year even. In some ways it was, because his world was turned upside down too, through war and through an economic downturn. But happiness is this frail thing, it's this fragile thing, it's this elusive thing. It can't be bought. It can't even be created. Like when we focus our intent and our energy upon happiness, we find it slipping through our fingers. It's one of those things which comes through right living and right thinking. It's like a byproduct of some of the other things in our life. And so it's this fascinating thing. It's something that we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks discussing. But thankfully, with happiness, there are some really great answers in this amazing book here. Because the reality is, is that you'd think that here in Australia, we're one of the wealthiest nations on earth, one of the greatest nations on earth, and one of the greatest times on earth, like our economy's booming, we're on one of the longest bull runs in history, right? All these sorts of great things, and yet three million Australians suffer from anxiety or depression. That tells me that we're searching for happiness in all the wrong answers. I think society has sort of conditioned us to sort of look for happiness and to try to just fill ourselves with more. It's like we gorge ourselves upon the more of life, so we consume more and we consume more and we consume more. It might be positions, it might be relationships, it might be sex, it might be money, it might be stuff, but we, we just sort of like gorge ourselves with more until we sort of satisfy our being in this sort of drunk state, don't we? Like that's the answer that society's got. That's what the answer that these young men that I work with have got. They, they just think, if I can just get that car, if I can just get that youth, then I'll be happy. If I can just buy that house, then I'll be happy. If I can just move away from my parents to another city, then I'll be happy. If I can just, you know, get with that girl, if I can just win that bet, if I can just have that thing, you know? And to some extent, we all fall into this trap. We all fall into this trap of trying to create our own happiness. But the fact that three million Australians are suffering from anxiety or depression tells me that we're searching in the wrong areas. But the good news is that there's some great answers in this book. And 2,000 years ago, there was this incredible man, and his name was Paul. And he wrote this amazing letter. But the thing about Paul was that even if you take away his spirituality stuff, even if you think he got the God stuff wrong, which... I don't think we think that. But he was this highly influential person that even if you take all that other stuff away, his teachings have sort of lasted the test of time. Like even 2,000 years later, it would still be the number one self-help book. It's pretty incredible, the wisdom that's contained in there. And he wrote this amazing letter called the Philippians. And so what he did was he wrote to this church in Philippi, hence it's called Philippians. If you've got your Bible, you're welcome to turn there because we're going to be spending the whole series there. It's this tiny little book towards the back of the Bible. But the thing that's remarkable about this letter is that it's only four chapters long. Only four chapters long. And yet it's considered one of the happiest books of the Bible. The word joy, or one of its variations, is uttered 17 times over those four short chapters. But the amazing thing about this letter that Paul wrote, this letter of, the, of Philippians, is that he wrote it while he was imprisoned. He wrote it whilst he was in jail. He wrote it whilst he was in jail in Rome, a jail that was so bad that had such a notorious reputation that it was called death's waiting room. Can you imagine having everything stripped away from your own life, being stuck and chained and imprisoned in death's waiting room, and then being able to write a letter which is considered the happiest letter, the happiest book of the Bible, which talks about joy over 17 times within four short chapters. So this letter is something that we're going to be digesting and it's something that we're going to be looking at over the coming weeks to sort of discover what there might be in our faith as it relates to happiness. How can we have a security of happiness that lasts when all the other things in life are stripped away? That's our pursuit. How about I just quickly pray? Is that all right? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this morning and I just pray that we may have a great time. I pray that we may all leave with a smile on our face. I pray that we may all be infected with your joy this morning. And I just pray that we might 
learn some of the secrets of happiness over the coming weeks so that we might be a light into our community. And everybody said, Amen. So we're going to start at the beginning of Philippians this morning, and the first area that Paul starts with, which we can learn about some secrets for happiness, is how it relates to our relationships. Because the bottom line is that if we have unhappy relationships, we will be unhappy. (laughs) So Paul, in the coming 11 verses, he gives four relational models, four relational keys, four relational habits. Everybody say habit. Everybody say habit again. So the reason why it's a habit is because it's something that we can do. So it's really simple to talk about, really simple to digest this morning, but really hard to apply. Really hard to do in practice, really hard to do. So let's read this, hey? I can read up there. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So that's the opening line of his letter. He's addressing the people at Philippi, together with the overseas and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace with me can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Too good. So that's our text for this morning. So within this text, there are four relational habits that we can apply, which make our relationships far healthier, far happier, which will enable us to be happier. And the first one is this. It's about gratefulness. Be grateful for the people in my life. Study after study after study have linked gratefulness to happiness. They've talked about how when we are thankful and grateful in life, we are happier because of it. And Paul starts his letter here, he addresses them and he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. I'm going to be honest, I'm not like Paul. When I think of you all, I'm not always grateful. (laughs) When I think of my friends, when I think of my family, when I think of everybody... don't think there's anybody that's outside this category. When I think of people, my first reaction isn't always one of gratefulness. It's definitely something that I can work on. But Paul opens up his letter here by saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. What a challenge to us that one there is. What a challenge. We've got this young man that comes to our youth program on a Friday night, and every single week that he rocks up, he's been coming for quite a long time now, he always rocks up early and he always leaves late. Strike one. <laughs> no, not really. But he always rocks up early, he always leaves late, and he always sort of drags his feet like this. The youth leaders know who I'm talking about, and he always sort of mopes around like this. And he sort of joins in our leaders' meeting pre and post, and he is always disrupting us, always interrupting us, always slowing us down, always stopping us. And so we're getting to this habit of coming up to this young man and we say, tell us one great thing that's happened this week, one thing that you're thankful for, one thing that you're grateful for. Or, and he just can't find anything. He just cannot find a thing. Or what he'll do is he'll stand there and he'll all of a sudden just hurl an insult at somebody and we're like, come on, mate, now you have to think of some sort of compliment for this person. And he just cannot fathom how to think positively like this. Like he just cannot wrap his mind around how to do it. The deepest thing that he can do after five minutes of us just persistently encouraging him is to go something like, I like your shoes, or something like that. Like, that's about as much as what he can get. But we, we as a team, we allow ourselves to be interrupted week after week, and I'm so grateful for our team because of this, but we allow ourselves to be sidetracked and slowed down and interrupted because of this, because we understand how important gratefulness is for this young man. Nothing else, or it's one of these things that's going to transform his mind, but it just takes a long time in working because... You see, with his upbringing and the experiences that he's had in his life, he thinks happiness is found in a bottle. Or he thinks happiness is a pill that you take. He doesn't understand that happiness can be found through healthy relationships with one another. He doesn't understand that happiness can be gleaned through reflecting on the day and thinking, you know what, that was a wonderful coffee I had this morning. 
he doesn't understand that these moments of gratefulness can help make him healthier. And the result is that every week or every second week or every third week, inevitably we find him in tears. He doesn't know where to find his happiness. He doesn't understand the power and the impact of gratefulness. But you know what? Paul chose in this letter to be grateful. It didn't necessarily come naturally because Paul's time in Philippi, when he had visited, didn't go well. Didn't go well at all. You see, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was falsely accused, he was arrested, imprisoned, he was humiliated, there was an earthquake, and then he was asked to leave town. Things didn't go well at Philippi. He didn't have fond memories of his time at Philippi. It was one of those places that you'd, you'd scratch off the, the list of, uh, to go back to, you'd scratch off the Christmas card list. And yet here he is opening up his letter to them and addressing them and saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. In other words, Paul chose to remember the best and to forget the rest. That's the first relational habit that we can all apply in our life. It's easy to say, hard to do, but let's be grateful for the people in our life. The second thing that we can do is to pray with joy for the people in my life. Paul says here in verse 4, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. When you think about the people in your life, if you're anything like me, you inevitably come to a point where you wish that you could change people to make your life easier. Am I, right? Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? That you wish that you could just change people in your life, so that maybe your life might be a little bit easier and a little bit happier and a little bit smoother and your needs might be met a little bit more than them? And so inevitably what we end up doing is we end up being critical, we nag, we nitpick. Husbands, don't go home and give that list to your wives. Critical, nagging, nitpicking, it doesn't go well and it's not, not biblical, right? <laughs> but we're critical, we're nagging, we nitpick. But that doesn't change anybody. That doesn't change them and it doesn't change me. It robs me of my joy, especially in my prayer life. Rather, instead, what changes them and what changes me is prayer. What I can do is prayer. All that critical energy, oh, oh, that critical thinking and negative energy that I sort of bring, that doesn't do anything for the health of our relationship, but rather it acts like a, a vampire. It just sucks the life out of them and it sucks the life out of me. And Paul, again, he, he had terrible memories and terrible times at Philippi, and yet in his prayer life, he was continually praying for their transforming, for their trans renewal, let's use that word instead, and with joy. I'm so grateful that I've been raised in church. I'm so grateful that I've been raised around all of you, because I know that there are some people in this room that have prayed for me for five years, for 10 years, 15 years, even 20 years. And I'm so grateful and I'm so thankful and I know that it's benefited my life and it's benefited their life. So let's pray with joy. And if you don't know how to pray for other people, Paul gives a great um, little list here from verse 9 to 11. And this is my prayer. So this is his prayer. And if you don't know how to pray for others, use this list. It's great. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you might be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. So pray for, pray for me, pray for others, that they may increase in love. What a great way to start a prayer for somebody that you might be having a relational difficulty with. Your co-worker, your spouse, your kids, whatever. Pray that their love may increase more and more, so that they may discern what is best, so that they might, might make wise choices. What a great second thing to pray for, that... Those people in your life might be able to make wise choices, that they might be free of some of the consequences of sin, hey? free of some of the entrapments and snares of sin, that they may, might make wise choices, that they might be pure and blameless. In other words, that they might live with integrity. What a beautiful prayer that is, that they might live with integrity, that they might, might be honest and authentic and, and integrous in all that they do. I think we'd all hope for that for the fruit of righteousness so that we might become more like Jesus. Love may abound more and more that we might become more loving, make better choices, more integrous and more like Jesus. What a list to be able to pray for somebody. So parents, pray that list for your kids. Co-workers, pray that for each other and we can all pray that prayer. What a beautiful prayer. And then the third thing, that Paul gets at in this letter, the third habit that we can learn from is to expect the best from people. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Expect the best from people. Again, when I think of other people, I don't necessarily always land at a position of expecting the best. And often that's because I've been let down. You've been let down. We see their track record. We see their resume. And we know that our needs might not necessarily be met. But I love this because Paul is clearly saying that I'm choosing to believe the best in you. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. In other words, he's saying, I am confident that the God that's in work in my life is also the God that's at work in your life. I'm confident that, this, that the God inside of you will continue to make you look more and more like Jesus. I'm confident that even though you might stumble and that you might fall and you might take a step backwards, I'm confident it's only to then take two steps forward. Life is so much lighter and our relationships are so much better when we come into these relationships with this sort of outlook. I'm not necessarily saying we need to be naive or gullible or let people into hurting areas or anything like that. But when we start off a relationship or start an interaction expecting the worst from people, it sucks the life out of us. When I was down at the prison, I think that was one of the reasons why so many of the, the officers went on stress leave. Because they'd come to work and they'd expect the worst from their colleagues and they'd expect the worst from the inmates. And it was, again, it was just like that vampire sucking the life out of them. To not expect the best from somebody is to sign a death warrant on the relationship. It's to kiss goodbye to the relationship. If you're always expecting the worst from somebody, think of your spouse. Think of if you were to expect the worst from them at every opportunity. Oh, I bet you that they haven't put the bins out tonight. Oh, I bet you that the house is an absolute pigsty. Oh, don't even want to hear what happened with the kids today. I bet you they just ruined it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's going to poison the relationship. It's going to poison how you see them, but it's also going to poison how you feel as well. It's going to kill that relationship. And so Paul, in his secret of happiness, he, he's expecting the best from people. Our good friend Will Smith from JCP Youth, many of you guys know him. He's been around here a few times. I think this is one of his greatest strengths. He's got this innate ability, this God-given ability to expect the best from people whom nobody else expects the best from. You know, if nobody else believes in you to change, I think it's nearly impossible to change. I think in order to be transformed, in order to be able to go from point A to point B in your life, to have a sort of like a trajectory like this, I think sometimes you, you need somebody else to believe in you first. And with Will Smith, I think that... Not Will Smith Hollywood, if you guys don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Although, yeah... But Will Smith, that's local. I think this is a God-given ability that God's given to him. Because he comes alongside these disadvantaged, disengaged young people whom nobody sees a future in. And he starts just believing in them and the intensity of his belief in them, all of a sudden these young people start to believe in themselves too. And you know what the sad thing is? I don't understand why the church isn't at the forefront of this one. Why is the church so bad at this one? Why is it that I have to look to Will Smith in the community for an example of someone that does this outrageously well? Why is it not the, the church believing in things unseen to be pulled out of somebody else? Why is it not the church that sees with eyes of hope and eyes of faith what Christ might do in somebody else? Why is it that the church is not confident that he who began a good work will see it through to completion? Why is it not the church who expects the best from people? Can you imagine how much our community would be different if we took this one on? Can you imagine how our marriages would be different? Can you imagine how our families would be different? How our sporting clubs, our schools, our workplaces would be different if we simply just expected the best from people? Through eyes of hope, hands of faith. I think Paul would urge us to expect the best from people. I think we could, a simple way to do that would be for us to celebrate how far people have come rather than pointing out how far they've still got to go. If only we demanded progress over perfection a little bit more often, eh? All right, the fourth one, the last one that I want to highlight this morning is to love the people in my life like what Jesus does. I love this one. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I love that second line, with the affection of Christ Jesus. So Paul's relationship as he saw the people in Philippi was with the affection of Christ Jesus. What a beautiful thought. 
What a beautiful thought. When I think of the affection of Christ Jesus, I think I immediately think of John 3.16. Can any, who here knows what John 3.16 is off the top of your head? Quite a few people. Can someone call it out to me? What's John 3.16? Well done. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's the affection of Christ Jesus. But you know what? I think we've left ourselves short. I think part of the problem with our church community is that we know John 3.16, but we don't necessarily know 1 John 3.16. Who here knows what 1 John 3.16 is? Oh, Mary, she's <laughs> top of the class. 1 John 3.16. This then is how we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It sounds remarkably similar to John 3.16. It's almost like as if it's the same author. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I think we ignore 1 John 3.16 because of that second line. Because if we're to love others with the affection of Christ Jesus, it means that it comes at a price. If we're to have healthy relationships, healthy, meaningful relationships, which we receive happiness from, means that we have to love others as Christ loved us. It's one of the great paradoxes of our faith. There are many paradoxes of our faith. There are many things which don't necessarily make sense. And this is one of them. The thought that the happiness that I receive isn't through what I can grab a hold of from my relationship, but rather it's how I can love you. It doesn't make sense that in giving out of myself to other people that I might be able to receive something so beautiful and so treasured that it might satisfy the deepest yearnings of my soul. John 3, 1 John 3, 16, hey? That we might love others like this. Why don't you guys come on up here? I'm about to finish up. So let's take a moment just to pause and to reflect. I can get rid of that for you. Let's take a moment to pause and to reflect. Be grateful for the people in my life. Pray with joy for the people in my life. Expect the best from people and to love the people in my life like what Jesus does. If you think, if you stop and pause and think about the people in the world around you at the moment, if you think of those relationships where you're left desiring a little bit more, we all have those relationships. This stuff's easy to talk, it's easy to understand. Maybe I don't make it look like it's easy to talk about, but it is. (laughs) But it's easy to talk about, but it's really hard to do. It's really hard to do why so many of our relationships are so hard. It's why as we get older, so many people become more and more isolated because they just find oh, relationships are exhausting. But Paul starts his letter about happiness with keys about relationships for a reason. So without happy relationships, it's hard to find happiness for ourselves. So from those four things, is there something there that you can take away this week and do? Is that me, Esther? That's you, is it? Oh, gosh. I love that. Because you see, our world is desperately seeking an answer to happiness. Three million Australians will tell you that. Three million Australians diagnosed with anxiety or depression. And that's just the diagnosis. There's much, much, much more. All of us have got a heartache and a heart cry for happiness. I think we as a church have got a duty and a responsibility to be the light of the world. And I just think so many in our society and so many people even in this room just find the world just so dark. They just find life just so very hard. They find happiness so elusive and so fragile and so out of reach. It's like it just slips through your hands like water. But yet Christ came so that we might have life and life to the full he came so that we might experience joy and true joy in all of its abundance he came so we might experience happiness which does not disappear with circumstance and he invites us all to participate in that but if we don't participate in that how will our friends out in the community ever experience the beautiful light how will they ever experience that happiness why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to join in one last song. I believe it's Cornerstone, is that correct, says? What a beautiful song to finish on this morning, though, hey? The, 
because at the very heart, it always comes back to our relationship with Jesus. So why don't you bow your heads? I'm going to pray, and then we're going to join with the team in singing. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this morning, and I just pray for the relationships everywhere. I pray for our friendships, our marriages, our work relationships, our parenting, our kids, our parents, all of it, Father. I pray for that spiderweb of relationships that we're all intertwined with. And I pray that we might all find ways to be able to apply your truth and that in so doing, we might experience joy and peace, that we might experience true happiness. Father, I pray that this, this week we may all experience something a little bit deeper and a little bit fresher and a little bit more real, which just gives us a glimpse into heaven. I pray that this week we may just discover your love in a fresh way. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.